Turn your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, as we conclude a series that began a little over two years ago, the certainty of our Savior, and we end this day with Jesus' great benediction and His ascension into glory. Luke chapter 24, and out of reverence and respect for God and His Word, let's stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. Beginning in verse 50. Then he, that is Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would continue through the ministry of your word and spirit, strengthen us as your people, cause us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, and to revel in your mercy and goodness towards us in him. And may his exaltation grant us hope for the future and a confidence even today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Phil Riken says that good writers know how to finish well. Indeed, T.S. Eliot in his poem, East Coker, content, uh, finished well. He began with a line, in my beginning is my end. And he concludes with the same line in mirror image, in my end is my beginning. Luke, in a very real sense, knows how to end well also. Luke began with an angelic announcement regarding the birth of Christ, which led to worship. And he concludes with an angelic announcement of the resurrected Christ that leads to worship. Luke also does something else. He introduces his sequel. We've seen throughout the Gospel of Luke that Luke is really volume one to his friend Theophilus about the certainties of the Savior. And the book of Acts is Luke's volume two to his same friend. And so Luke began with the entrance of Christ into the world from glory. And now he concludes with Christ's exit from this world into glory. And he reminds us of Christ's worthiness of our worship, in His blessing and in His ascension. In this final scene in Luke's gospel, we see that Christ bestowed His benediction upon His church. This was Jesus' last great work as our great high priest. After offering Himself as a sacrifice for our sins, He lifts His hands and He blesses God's people. The word Benediction literally means good word. It's to conclude a service, if you will, with a good word, a, a blessing from God. And we saw this as an act of the high priest in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 9, we read of Aaron. He lifted his hands in, towards the people and he blessed them. And he came down from the mount after offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. One of the most well-known benedictions in all of Scripture is an ironic blessing, an ironic benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. It's a good word. It's a blessing. It's a benediction. So what benediction does Jesus leave His church? The great high priest has completed His sacrifice for sin on the cross. And now with that as a foundation, He pronounces blessings. Blessings that you can bank your life on. That you can count on. The blessings such as if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blessings that we can approach God's throne and no longer is it merely a throne of judgment for the believer, but it is now a throne of grace that He bids us and encourages us to boldly approach A peace that the world cannot begin to understand. Paul writes, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, since we've been made right with God through Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessings such as a confidence even in approaching death. As Paul continues in Romans, therefore, there's now no condemnation. No condemnation whatsoever for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we can sing with Stuart Townend, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell nor scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns and calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Such is the blessing, the benediction that Jesus has left His church. But in the context, there's yet another benediction, another blessing. We saw it last week. It's in verse 49. The promise of the Holy Spirit Himself. After giving His church the great commission to take the gospel to the nations, Jesus now leaves His church with His great benediction. The promise of the Father. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. That's volume 1. But in volume 2 we read in Acts chapter 1. As the ministry of Jesus continues. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. But to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized you with water. But I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And Jesus continued in Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And indeed, in less than a week and a half, God made good on His promise. And He poured out His Holy Spirit upon His church on the day of Pentecost. Do you know what that means? Do you know what it means for us when we receive the Holy Spirit upon our conversion? We have in Him all the culmination of the blessings of God. And all the culmination of the promises of God. We have the confirmation that Christ is ours and we are His. We have the conviction that His work was complete On our behalf, we have the confidence that we now possess as the people of God. The very blessings of God in Christ. 
In fact, Paul reminds us in Ephesians 1, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That all the promises of God are yes and amen for the people of God. Peter reminds us that his divine power has given us everything we need for godliness through his very great and precious promises. Do you realize this? That through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, the promise of Christ, that you lack no good thing in living for God's glory and enjoying Him forever. And the good news of this benediction is that it's been signed, sealed, and delivered. And the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so after giving His church the great commission, Christ bestows upon His church the great benediction. And Luke tells us with that, Jesus was ascended into glory. But think of that benediction before that ascension. Why does our church not simply end in a prayer, but a benediction, a pronouncement, if you will? Why has that been the history of Reformed churches? Dr. Robert Rayburn, whom I had the privilege to study under almost 40 years ago, said this about the importance of the benediction at the end of a service. No worshipers should ever be sent forth to serve in their own strength. They must ever be dismissed in the name of the Lord with the assurance of the power and presence of the triune God to accompany them always. Phil Riken said this about the benediction. It is as if Jesus himself is lifting his hands over us, nailed prince and all, to bless us with his grace. He is giving us strength for ministry, comfort and suffering, and hope for the future. He's calling us to serve as a blessing to the nations. Jesus blesses us and blesses us again and again, placing all our lives and all our service under His holy benediction. What a blessing to receive each Lord's Day, the very benediction of Jesus Himself. He continues to bestow His blessings upon His church. And with that blessing, Luke now tells us that Jesus ascends. And Christ ascended into glory and was seated at the right hand of the Father. Luke describes in more detail in volume 2, Acts chapter 1, of that ascension. Listen to verse 9. And when He, that is Jesus, had said these things, as they were looking on Him, He was looking up and a cloud took Him out of their sight. The significance of this scene cannot be overstated. This was the exaltation of the risen, glorified Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Luke mentions the cloud. It wasn't a weather report. It wasn't the description of today, an overcast, cloudy day. The cloud referred to the cloud that enshrouded Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, hiding, if you will, from human sight, something of a glimpse of His glory. The cloud that covered 
the temple, the Shekinah glory of God of the Old Testament. A cloud that protected us. It was a cloud for our good because no one could see the glory of God in full view and live. It's this same cloud that took up Jesus into glory. And Jesus was transported into glory. And in Mark's gospel, it tells us, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Peter tells us on the day of Pentecost, quoting from Psalm 110, and being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he did not ascend in the heavens on his own, but David didn't ascend. But he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. The writer of Hebrews tells us of Jesus, He is the radiance of God's glory. And after he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. You get the picture? Having accomplished redemption in his humiliation, Jesus is now exalted in his glorification to the right hand of the Father, to the place of honor and splendor and power and authority. The place in which today he rules and reigns over all creation. The place described in Isaiah when he said, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. And what is Christ doing? The ascended glorified king as he sits at the right hand of the Father. Well, as a triumphant king coming from battle, he's bestowing blessings upon his people. He's bestowing gifts upon his church. And that's why Paul, picking him up on this in Ephesians 1, says he's blessing us and granting gifts to his people. And not only is he giving gifts, he's interceding on our behalf, a passage we've seen many times over the years. Hebrews 7, he ever lives to intercede. Even right now, seeing in full view our sin, Jesus continues to plead the merits of his blood on behalf of his people. He says, consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them, and that them is us. And that's why we can sing with Isaac Watts, with John Newton, Approach my soul, the mercy seat, where Jesus answers prayer. There humbly fall before his feet, for none can perish there. In addition to granting gifts to his church, to continuing to intercede on our behalf, Christ as our King grants us a hope and a future. Again, Luke's description of Jesus' ascension in Acts 1. And while they were gazing into heaven, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Do you hear what we're being promised? This glorified, risen, conquering king just as he was taken up into the clouds of glory, will return one day for his bride, for his church in this cloud of glory. You understand why? Do you understand what he's doing? He's coming for his bride, the conquering king. This Jesus who was taken up in the clouds will come again. Paul wrote of this in the Thessalonians. 
For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a loud crying command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. Do you understand what that means? Do you understand what it means as a Christian? History is heading somewhere. Because we have a ruling, conquering, sovereign king. History is heading somewhere. Our sovereign, ruling, reigning king will one day return in the cloud of glory and make all things right. And that means in the present, right now, we can trust him with confidence. As Christians, our fears of the future, our anxieties over the economy, our concerns about COVID can all be placed in His sovereign hands and under His sovereign care. We have a King who has given us a hope and a future, not in the kingdoms of man, but in His kingdom that can never, ever be shaken. This is what's being promised us as Jesus ascended into the clouds of glory. That right now, today, He's ruling and reigning and we have a hope and a future. Many of us have learned the shorter catechisms that help us understand the truths of Scripture. And catechism number 28 speaks of the ascension of Christ and the blessings that flow from that ascension. The question is asked, wherein consists Christ's exaltation? The answer is this. Christ's exaltation consists in His rising again from the dead on the third day and ascending into heaven and sitting at the right hand of God the Father and in coming to judge the world on the last day. Our conquering King is coming again in power and glory to set all things right in the new heavens and the new earth for His people. So what should be our response to the great benediction of Christ? What should be our response to the glorified, exalted Savior today? It should be the same as the response of those gathered here in our text this morning. One of worship and adoration and praise. You see, the ascended, glorified Christ is worthy He is worthy of all honor and glory and praise. He's worthy of our worship, the affections of our hearts, the adoration of our lips, the praise of our lives. We simply read in verse 52 and 53, as Christ ascended in the glorified clouds and they worshiped Him. And then they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and continued blessing God. In the temple. The Greek word for worship is proskuneo. It means to prostrate oneself before the Lord, to fall on our faces before Him in heartfelt adoration and obedience. And true worship in spirit and in truth always leaves us in that posture of falling before God. You see, worship is much more than a Sunday morning event. 
It's far more than a, an emotion that might carry us into a, a Monday. But worship, true worship in the words of 20th century Archbishop William Temple, is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by His holiness. The nourishment of our minds with His truth. The purifying of our imaginations at the beauty of Christ. The opening of our hearts to His love. The surrender of our wills to His purpose. All gathered up in adoration. The most selfless emotion of which nature is capable. It's offering the entirety of our being. Every fiber of our being. To this exalted, glorified Christ, and it's to be done with great joy because something has happened to our hearts even in the midst of a fallen world. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. We saw last week in verse 41 a, a strange phrase Luke uses to describe the disciples when they began to understand the resurrection. They still disbelieved for joy. There was a joy that was just too good to be true. But the gospel is true. It really is the good news that transforms lives. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, we can be made right with the living God through the good news for the work of Christ on the cross. And so here again is the joy that Peter wrote of. Though you've not seen him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy inexpressible and filled with glory. Joy inexpressible, joy unspeakable, joy ineffable. So great, words can't capture the joy that Christ works in the heart and life of a believer. Here is that joy of which I've mentioned many times over the years. A worship that involves both exaltation and exaltation. What's the difference? One letter between exalt and exalt, but what's the difference in the two? To exalt is to declare the praises of Christ, but to exalt is to delight in the praises of Christ. It is that joy inexpressible, that joy ineffable that can't be expressed in words. It can't be described. You know, it's possible to gather together and worship and to exalt, and to declare, but never to exalt, to truly delight in and to cherish what Christ has done for us and to cherish the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, may Christ by His Spirit continue to enable us to exalt Him, but also to deeply and profoundly exult in Him. Where are you this morning? Has your heart been captivated by the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you know that disbelieving joy, that joy inexpressible, that the gospel is just too good to be true, but it is that God did not spare even His own Son, but freely gave Him up for your salvation. 
as the beauty and glory of Christ captured your imagination and the affections of your hearts? Do you know that joy inexpressible full of glory? This is what it means to worship in spirit and truth. To worship the exalted, glorified, magnificent Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice just in Luke's parting, the continued effect of having beheld the glory of Christ. The continued worship. We're simply told that they were continually in the temple. Blessing God. In volume 2, Luke describes that ongoing worship. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to the prayers. And day by day, attending in the temple together, and breaking the bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number. Those who were being saved. Some have described that as doxological evangelism. What this community needs to see, what the world needs to hear, are the people of God who are not simply declaring, but delighting in the glories of Christ, such that their praise and their doxology becomes a testimony to the glories of Christ and God continued to add to their number daily those who are being saved. The ascension of Christ, my friends, He's given you His blessings. He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. And in response, you and I are called to worship to adore, to praise, and to live with every fiber of our being to the glory and praise of our resurrected, exalted, ascended King of kings and Lord of lords. May God continue to richly bless Clemson Presbyterian Church with such Christ-centered, Christ-exalting, Christ-honoring worship for decades, for decades to come. Let's pray. Father, I pray you will continue to captivate our hearts with the beauty of Christ, with the glories of His grace, that His praise might not only be heard from our lips, but seen in our lives. And that you would be pleased, O Christ, to continue to use us for your glory, for your honor, and for your praise. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.